Alright, so what we're doing in the class is we're going through this book by Rob Bell called What is the Bible? which is a boring title but then his uh, subtitle is How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. So what he's trying to do in the book is he's really speaking to two different audiences. One audience is people who uh, maybe grew up around church but then kind of gave up on it or maybe um, maybe they didn't even grow up around church but they just think of the Bible as old and not really relevant has a lot of violent stories in it has a lot of things in it that we don't really believe anymore and so the Bible isn't relevant to my life so he's speaking to that audience and if you know about Rob Bell at all he's pretty good at speaking to that type of person and that I think he sees that as his main ministry is reaching out to um, what you might call the the culturally disaffected people uh, who dismiss Christianity. So what he's trying to say is if you read the Bible carefully and think about it, there's it actually has a lot to say about how we live our lives. He's also talking to people who have been raised in church in a way that that says the Bible is not real is real the Bible is God's word and that is emphasized so strongly that you you think God whispered what to write in the author's ears and they wrote it down such that it's it's God's word and humans were barely involved if they were involved at all it was just as scribes and so what that what that raises is the issues of then what do you do about the parts of the Bible like what it says about women or slavery or killing the Canaanites so how do you explain that and so he wants to speak to that crowd too to say maybe we should appreciate more the human side of the Bible and factor that in and, how, and if you understand what the writers of the Bible were writing to their audience how does that help us fix some of those issues so um, I teach Bible at Lipscomb so I think about the Bible a lot a lot more than I want to no I didn't mean to say that <laughs> it's just it's, it can have some problems uh, and a lot of times I think well it's a really old book and we're trying to apply it to modern days and that's going to raise some issues with any old book um, so I found the book to be helpful in lots of ways and also want to present some things and say what do you guys think about this because I'm not sure I agree with everything that he says in the book which is not surprising um, you know rarely do you agree with everything that somebody says in a book now um, for those of you that were here last week I, I was not here but Kim told me that um, it was mentioned that if you have a chance to read Acts no John chapter 8 so I'm assuming a lot of people did that and I didn't want to leave that hanging uh, so John chapter 8 uh, Rob so I also want to say about this book if you want to get a copy of the book or, or a Kindle version or whatever and read through with us um, you're welcome to do that and you may decide to wait until you hear what we're talking about but he has a chapter uh, that's called 
stoners and swingers. That's Rob Bell for you. Stoners and swingers. So, how is John chapter 8 related to the stoner? You know John 8? John 8, what is it, that? Yeah, so a woman is brought to Jesus. They said we caught her in the very act of adultery. The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus famously says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And um, does it before or after? What does he do right after he says that? He writes in the dirt. Okay, this is in John chapter 8 if you want to look at whatever Bible you have. Um, one of the mysteries of the Bible is what is Jesus writing in the dirt? Have you heard any ideas about what Jesus is writing in the dirt? So, after Jesus writes in the dirt, the people that, that brought the woman there start leaving from the oldest to the youngest. So, Rob Bell knows what Jesus wrote in the dirt. What have you heard Jesus wrote in the dirt? The sins of the people around him. So he used his special knowledge that he had to write <laughs> George, what you did last night. Um, <laughs> Michael, that money that you stole. <laughs> um, anything else? Okay, so what Rob Bell is trying to do in this book is say, hey, if you start looking at deeply at the Bible, you can start learning some things. One of the sources he uses is uh, Jewish backgrounds. And the thing about John chapter 7, the chapter right before John 8, is it mentions the Feast of Tabernacles. And in Jewish uh, sources that we have now, I, maybe Rob knows this, maybe not, but unfortunately they, they date from much later than the New Testament period, around maybe 300 or 400 A.D. So it's a little sketchy to, to assume the Jews in the first century were doing this, but it's possible. So what we have is we know what scriptures they write, what, what scriptures they read at the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the scriptures is from a passage in Jeremiah that says to, that says, uh, Israel, you're going to be judged for your sins. Your names are written in the dust. So, since they're just fresh off that tabernacle service where that was read, Jesus is writing their names in the dirt. Mm. He could have gotten busted for that too. Like fulfilling the word right there in front of him. You know, as much as the Pharisees and everybody got mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, like they could have they started stoning him right there. Yeah, they could have. Um, and so what he's saying is you're gonna be judged for your sins. That kinda adds to the context. So what Rob is trying to say is there are some things in the Bible that are deeper if you take a closer look. Now nobody 
knows for sure what Jesus was writing in the dirt, but that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Uh, if you look at some Jewish backgrounds. The chapter I'd like for us to talk about today is chapter 5 in his book, where he talks about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 1, 10. And the title of the chapter is Anakephaliosasthai. That's the name of the chapter. That is a Greek word which I wrote, uh, took the time to write up here for those of you that know Greek letters. You probably can't read it. There's no board in here. Uh, but we have a cool paper board, which is useless. But anyway. Um, then I tried to write it in English letters, and I forgot at the end, and I was writing in Greek again. So uh, everybody say, Anna. Anna. Kephali. Kephali. Asistai. Anna Kephali. Anna Kephali. Anna Kephali. That's a long word. And I think the reason that, that Rob mentions the word is just because it's really long. Uh, he says if you want to win Scrabble, you know, go for it. Um, can't use foreign words in Scrabble, Rob. Okay. Um, Ephesians 1, verse 10. My translation says, let's get a running start on this. Let's start reading at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This whole first part of Ephesians here is a praise to Christ and what God is planning to do in Christ. And he repeats that phrase, in Christ, many times. In verse 10 he says, in Christ he wants to bring, my translation says, bring unity to all things. That word, bring unity, is anakephaliosestai. Bring unity. Does anybody have a different translation? To gather up all things in him. To gather up all things. Other translations. Bring everything together. Bring everything together. Okay. To sum up all things. Okay, here's what Rob is asking us to do. He says you can just read Ephesians 1, you get to that part, and you're like, okay, sum up all things. But if you dig down deeper, maybe take the time to look at Greek, talk to Thad who's in Greek right now, and ask him what the Greek word is, 
he can't he doesn't know enough yet but someday he will um, this comes from the Greek word ana prefixed ana which means again kephale anybody know what kef we get some English words like cephaly from the Greek word kephale what's cephaly your head like hydrocephaly's water on the brain or something like that um, so to bring things to a head or put things under a head again anacephaly so what Rob says is this word has a meaning of to sum up things to repeat and that again part means to repeat things again and that God's good pleasure that God this is what brings God joy is to sum up everything again in Christ so what he points out and I admit I haven't thought about hadn't thought about this before but this is what I want to put on the table today when you repeat a story um, you repeat details and even bad details and when you tell them you tell the details and you're smiling about the story so he mentions maybe you go camping pouring down rain everything gets soggy but later you're talking about that and it's kind of fun so what I would like for you to do is talk to some people around you repeat think of a story that you can repeat that at the time was not fun but now when you talk about it it's a fun story the details somehow have become interesting and maybe even exaggerated um, and we're going to talk some about that process now I'm not asking you to talk about really severe tragedies unless that's going to be healing for you you're fine it's fine to do that um, but the examples he uses in this chapter are things like a camping trip where it rains or something like that so what the reason I'm asking you to do this is because I want to collect a few of these and then we want to talk about why it is that when you repeat stories about things that weren't fun at the time it becomes fun and then say what does it mean that God is doing that in Christ to everything that happens in the world alright see where I'm going here so take a few minutes to talk about some some story that you can tell Did you read that chapter? Yeah. 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 That's kind of a cool point. Yes, it really is. Like I said, I was like, I am. Like in the moment, if I'm telling it and it just happened, it's the worst thing that's yeah. like, you know, it's so over the top. And then like a year later when I tell it, I'm laughing about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's still over the top, but it, it just has a new spin on it. Which would be good, but I feel like 
feel like maybe the next chapter we could talk about. I mean, the next black yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, not really. But maybe. I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> Because that's that's the questions I I kind of deal with a lot, so I like to see how he deals with it. I'm not totally comfortable with where he comes out, but I, that's why we can talk about. It. That'd be fun to process. Okay, um, I would love, I would love to, um, for you guys to uh, think about, let's, let's collect some of what you think are some of the best examples of this. What are some good examples that, that you feel free of sharing with the whole class? We need some good stories here. What you got? I'll share mine. Okay. Mine is actually is a camping story. A couple years ago, there was a men's retreat here at Otter Creek, and you can either camp or sleep in the dorm with all the snoring old men. So I decided to camp, <laughs> and I put my tent in the wrong field, so I was the only one out there. And it's a ten-person tent. I thought one of my buddies was going to stay with me, but it's just me. And so about midnight. There was a really bad, violent thunderstorm, and I was sleeping in my underwear in my sleeping bag. And all of a sudden, I feel the tent swaying like this, and the tent poles all snapped, and my rain fly went away. And so I was standing there, pulling my tent up like this, just getting deluged. And I said, Lord, protect me from this. And uh, when it finally kind of slowed down, I had to put my flip flops on and walk up the hill. It was all mud, and I dropped my sleeping bag and everything in the mud. Put in my car, and I came back down, gathered up my tent, slogged back up the hill, and I just laid in the back of my car and tried to sleep. And I was very angry, but now it's really fun. <laughs> Good one. What else? Another one. We need another one. We need a couple more. What did you guys talk about? <coughs> Yes, good, thank you. Uh, so I got invited to go to the Curly's wedding this summer, and I was supposed to stay over Miller's house that Friday night, so I left work early Friday, because I like, planned ahead. I was like, I'm going to work nine hours every day so I can leave at noon, get to my flight, get to the airport. Flight's delayed by like an hour, but I don't think that's going to be an issue, because I'm supposed to, it's a layover uh, from Connecticut to Orlando to Tennessee, because there are no direct flights. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I'm supposed to stay on the plane. Like I, I wasn't gonna get off and like run to another gate. I was just supposed to stay. We land in Orlando, and suddenly I'm told, "If you're going to Tennessee, you need to get off this flight." And we're like, 
there's like five of us who are like, what? <laughs> it turns out, like, after we had gone into the air, they decided to switch our flight so that they use another plane for the people waiting for the flight to Tennessee. There were no more flights until 7 a.m. It was 11.30 at night. <laughs> so I slept in an airport chair. <laughs> Because we got there and they were like And you're oh. laughing. <laughs> we got there and they were like, Oh um, we'll set you up and like get you a place to sleep and then I'm told by the Orlando like Orlando Airport. They don't have hotels. <laughs> so we're just staying there and they gave me a fourteen dollar food voucher and said good luck. <laughs> and everything's closed. <laughs> yeah. They were like McDonald's might be open. <laughs> So where did you sleep? In a chair. <laughs> did you sleep? A little. Maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> Why are you laughing about that? Because it's funny now. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny now. Yeah, good. Okay, so this was actually last Sunday, and this is why I wasn't at church last Sunday. Um, my dog starts barking at 5.30 in the morning to take her outside, so I do. And I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, I'll come back inside. It won't be a problem at all. Didn't have my phone. Don't have a spare key in my house or anything. So I shut the door behind me. 5.30 a.m. I remind you. I lock myself out of my house. Don't have a spare key. Don't have my phone. Don't have my car keys to go to, to my parents' house to get the spare key. So I was locked out of my house. And I thought to myself, he's like, you know what? I'll just break a window. I started breaking the window. <laughs> Then realized I don't have money to pay for a new window, <laughs> so uh, I proceed to walk to the closest house that's next to mine. That's about five miles away from my house. So I'm walking down Murray Lane at 5:30 in the morning <laughs> by myself with my dog, and people what, are like driving by me. What are you gonna do when you get to this other house? They call my parents, hopefully, because at 5:30 in the morning you're gonna wake somebody up. I was just hoping that somebody would come. <laughs> they did. And then they opened the door and they're like, who are you? And I was like, I don't have time for this. Do you have a phone? <laughs> and they were like, uh, yeah, we have a phone. So I called my parents and I was like, hey, dad, funny story. Um, I don't have a spare key in my house and I know you have one. So please help me. So, and that took about till, I mean, it was a while. I was just walking with my dog. And now I have a spare key in my house. Interesting. Adulting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Another one. <coughs> yeah. Um, I'll go. This happened this summer. Uh, I, me and some friends wanted to go swimming because it was a hot weekend. And uh, so we went to the Harpeth River, Narrows of the Harpeth exact and we got in and we were just going to swim but then we were like wow this river seems fun so we started floating down and we didn't realize how far we had floated until we had been in the river for about like two hours and um and we didn't know where we were going and there were a bunch of people who were canoeing so we were asking them like where do, like where do you get out and we weren't really sure how we were going to get back to our car at that point because uh we didn't have keys or a phone. Well, one person had their car keys. We didn't have phones or anything. And we're just in the river. And they were like, oh, like there's a bridge that everyone gets out at. It's like, it's not that far. So we float for another like two hours. <laughs> and we're still in the river. And we ask another person, like, uh, so where's this bridge that everyone's talking about? 
and they're like, oh, you're about halfway. And we're like, well, we've been in here for like three hours. <laughs> oh, um, well, it wouldn't really be worth turning around at this point. And we were like, okay. So then like, another two hours go by. <laughs> and um, no bridge. And uh, we've just been in the river with no canoe, um, just floating on our own. And we ask a third person, and he's like, oh, it's actually right just up here. We're like, okay, sure, we've heard that before. Uh, so another hour, we get to the bridge. It turns out that it was just one big loop. I don't know how many of you have gone to Narrows of the Harpet. But it actually is. It's like you start here and then it goes around and then it comes back. So we really were like a 10 minute walk from our car. It was really nice. That's awesome. That worked out. Okay. So we, we have this experience of bad things happening. At the time, they're not enjoyable. They're not fun. But later you can summarize, you can retell the story, and there's you, you laugh as you tell it. You tell it to people as at a party, and it becomes a fun time to remember these events. What Rob is saying is that this Greek word means that it gives God pleasure to, in Christ, uh, sum up, and, and the, the Greek says, all things in Christ. That God, God's pleasure is to sum up everything in Christ. Everything. So good and bad things all reach their head in Christ. So how does this, how do we think about this of at the very end of all time looking back at what has happened in life? Is it possible that as those stories are retold? What do you think? So, I want you to talk amongst yourselves for a few minutes about this passage in Ephesians and think about, let's, let's kind of gather some ideas about how it may be at the end to go back over some of these things and is it possible that there's going to be some summing up under Christ that's going to make those things funny or meaningful? Is that possible? Okay? So take some time to talk with people around you about that idea. Some of them. Yeah. Not all of them. 
in the future I'll do a little PowerPoint because it would be good to put some of these quotes yeah. up. I didn't think about that. I mean, I didn't think about that. Take a few minutes to uh, collect some of these thoughts. Um, I just thought it might be good to read uh, the way that Rob sets this up. Can your story be retold? Can all the various things that have happened to you and the things that you've done you'd prefer to never think about again, embarrassing parts, painful parts, can all of it be retold in such a way that the worst parts become the most powerful, poignant parts? What would it look like to live like this is true? Would living like that make your life better? So, what did you guys talk about? What do you think? Let's get some ideas. I've heard people say, um, if you could go back and change something, would you go back? And I heard people say, no, because it's made me who I am today. Yeah. It's brought me to a place where I'm really happy. And if I had to change that bad choice I made or yeah. not gone through that bad thing, maybe I wouldn't be right. who I am now. It's hard to know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to know how that would be different, and you're not sure if that different would be better, which is amazing to think about. Good. Other thoughts? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think part of it is just like, I don't know, specifically thinking about these stories and how we can learn to laugh at them, uh, just not to take your life too seriously, not to take, you know, your plans and your expectations too seriously, because it cannot change. Yeah. Yeah, what would it be like to live as if this were true? Um, would be a certain certain calmness that, okay, this isn't what I planned, this isn't my idea of how it was going to work out, but this is the way it is, and maybe someday I'll look back at this and it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about what you just said, and with my mom, I had a lot of 
my life, especially within the past like four years, um, things have not gone as I thought they were going to. Um, especially like coming from Brentwood and being a Williamson County kid and graduating from here and then doing basically the cookie cutter life of being a Williamson County kid. It's really hard to be a person from, like a kid from Williamson County. And it's hard and it's never easy and like people kind of expect you to do certain things and be a certain way. Um, and you probably wouldn't know that unless you were from here um, and face some of those things for yeah. yourself. But um, like she said, there's certain decisions that I've made that I wouldn't trade for anything just because it's broken me out of that cycle, mm -hmm. I feel like. And I've kind of had to make my own decisions yeah. earlier than some of my friends are going to have to make those decisions Yeah. Um, about just being an adult and getting a job and actually like finding a career without a college degree and like all of those things. So yeah. it's yeah. like, but I wouldn't change anything that I've done. Yeah. I wouldn't change leaving college two years early. I wouldn't change doing any of that. Yeah. So. So, one thing I want to say for sure is that I don't think that that Rob is saying, and I, I wouldn't want to say that this makes the suffering not suffering. It doesn't make what you go through not not bad, right? I mean, as we have to be careful not to say, "Oh, we just put a smile on our face and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that bad thing, that terrible thing happened, but it's okay." It's all gonna, you know, it's all gonna work out in the end. Um, I don't want to be glib about that. Um, but on the other side of that is just kind of a calmness that comes with knowing it can, that God can work everything together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. So um, there, you have to have some balance uh, there. So the Bible, I don't think ever says that suffering isn't real or that evil isn't really evil. I think we have to admit that, yeah, evil is, is evil, suffering is bad. But um, if you have faith in a God, if you don't have faith in God, then that no good can, I mean, it's just bad. But if God is working to bring everything together, then that gives a sense of at least hope that at some day in the future we can look back at this and go, oh, there's some meaning to that that made me what I am today. That makes sense? Questions or something you want to add to that? So, um, what he says here is... Um, if you're stuck in a hotel in Des Moines, anybody here from Iowa? In February, you take out a Gideon Bible from the drawer, you open it randomly to the first chapter of the letter to Ephesians, you read the sentence about bringing unity to all things. You're like me, he says, skip right over it, wondering what he's going on about. But if you slow down and you look below the surface in the original language, and find that this is a word that's also used in mathematics and it's two words attached together and it has this nuance um, suddenly things are way way more profound and provocative so it's interesting about Bible study that 
if you can drill down, sometimes you can find uh, nuances that bring meaning to life. So that's what Rob is trying to do with what is the Bible. Get us to think along those lines. Okay? Thank you very much for being here. Are there any more donuts or are they all gone? If you want more donuts, get them now. Kids are going to start coming in any moment. So last chance for donuts. Thanks so much for being here.